0: So we are going to like dive right in to tonight's message. Um, we are uh, continuing in our series uh, called "Unleashed." Uh, and uh, this series is all about um, uh, it's all about the book of Acts. And we started this series about nine weeks ago, ten weeks ago, uh, and uh, we are going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, through the um, uh, through the end of the year. So, we're going to be going through this for quite a while. Uh, now, the book of Acts uh, is a history book. Uh, it is all about the start of the early church. Uh, it is all about how uh, the early church got started. And what we're doing is we are learning 20, or first century principles that we can uh, put into place in the 21st century. So, uh, we um, are going to learn all about the early church. And how we can do kind of model what they did way back when. So. Uh We are in Acts chapter 10 tonight. If you brought a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use uh, your phone or tablet. There are different Bible apps you can use on your phone, such as Bible Gateway or YouVersion, uh, or uh, you can follow along in the GFCC app. If you haven't gotten the GFCC app yet, you can go to your app store and search for GFCC, whether it's the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store. Search for GFCC, and you can get the GFCC app. Um, and there's all kinds of things you can do on the app, uh, and uh, you can get see there it goes right there. Uh, so, um, but uh, so let me let me before we get to Acts chapter ten, I want to get to Acts chapter nine first. So uh, last week we talked about Acts chapter nine. That was the story of Saul's conversion. A young Pharisee by the name of Saul was persecuting the church. Jesus uh, reached out to Saul uh, and changed his life. Um, He blinded him with a bright light and then Saul repented of his ways and was baptized and became a follower of Jesus and immediately started preaching about Jesus. The, the, The one whom he was persecuting and whose church he was persecuting, he started preaching about and preaching uh, in the name of Jesus to everyone who would listen. And Jesus had chosen Saul to become his representative, his ambassador to the Gentiles. And so we ended with Saul being uh, escaping to his hometown of Tarsus uh, towards the end of chapter 9. But at the end of chapter 9, there's a couple of stories of how the Apostle Peter healed a person and raised someone from the dead. So in Acts chapter 9, we see how uh, the apostle Peter left Jerusalem and went to a city called Lydda, L-Y-D-D-A. He went to the city of Lydda. And there in Lydda, there was a man named Aeneas, And Aeneas was crippled for eight years. And Peter healed him. He pulled him to his feet to pick up your mat and walk. And after eight years of being crippled, he was able to To walk. And not only that, uh, the amazing thing about him healing him uh, was that people heard about it. They knew that Aeneas was crippled and they heard about it and they started, uh, he started sharing the gospel with other people and more people became believers because Peter healed this man. Well, so Peter stayed in Lydda for a while. Now, Lydda is about uh, 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And to, uh, 10 miles northwest of Lydda is another town called Joppa. And Joppa, you may not, if you know the story of Jonah from the Old Testament, when Jonah was followed by the great fish, uh, Joppa is the port city that uh, Jonah ran to when he didn't want to go preach in Nineveh. And, so, and then he was followed by the great fish. So uh, Peter... Goes uh, to Lydda. He heals Aeneas. The people of Joppa uh, heard that Peter was in Lydda, about ten miles away, and a friend of theirs, one of the early believers in the church, her name was Tabitha. Uh, Tabitha was um, had fallen ill, and she died. And they prepared her body for burial, but they heard, the people of Joppa heard that Peter was nearby. So they sent two people to go get Peter, and they brought him back to the house in Joppa. And sure enough, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead, raised her back to life. It's incredible. And and sure enough, people heard about it. They knew she was dead. They saw that Peter had raised her back to life, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. They started believing in Jesus, which again is incredible. And, and throughout the book of Acts we see these different events where people are healed and raised from the dead and all kinds of miraculous things happen and but the point is not the miracle in it of itself the point is to point to people to Jesus and that's what they did so Peter stayed in Joppa for a while at the home of a man named Simon the tanner uh, and that's what it says in Acts chapter 9 verse 43 acts 9: 43 says Peter stayed in Joppa for for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, here's the interesting thing about this God is working on Peter because Simon was a tanner, meaning that he tanned leather. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you get leather and you get uh, animal hides from what? Dead animals. Well, it was forbidden for Jews. To touch a dead animal. They would become ceremonially unclean if they touched a dead animal. And sure enough, Simon lived in a state of being unclean. He was not allowed to go to the temple and worship because he was unclean all the time. In fact, tanners in Peter's day, in Paul's day, tanners were dis- viewed with disdain by their fellow Jews. Okay, but here's the thing. He's unclean, and yet Simon, Peter, Peter's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. God is working on Peter. And we're going to see how God continues to work on Peter here uh, in uh, chapter 10. So chapter 10 begins in this way. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Check this out. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family, all his family, were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, there's a term we have to define here at the beginning, and that is Gentile. What is a Gentile? Well, basically, uh, just breaking it down simply, a Gentile is not a Jew. It's anybody who is not Jewish is a Gentile. Now, Gentiles were despised by the Jews they did not associate with one another in any way all right so now here's the thing a jew i mean a gentile could become could convert to judaism but they had to go through two ceremonial rites the first of which was circumcision that was the outward sign that someone was a jew was being circumcised and then the second rite that they would have to undergo is baptism they would be immersed After being circumcised, they would be immersed, and then they could become a convert to Judaism. Now, circumcision was for men. Baptism was for both men and women. And in the temple, uh, baptism, if you don't know the history of baptism, it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. That's when they first started baptizing people, was all the way back in the book of Exodus. And in the temple of Jerusalem, there were these things that was known as a mikvah. And a mikvah was a baptismal pool with two staircases. And before you could go into the temple to worship God, you had to go through the mikvah. You would go down into the water, you would be baptized, and then you would go out the other side. Symbolizing walking in dirty, walking out clean, and then you could go in and worship. To this day, Orthodox Jews still use a mikvah, or mikvot, and they would still use these uh, and and uh, one thing I read was about uh, Orthodox Jewish couples getting married. They get immersed. they are immersed in a mikveh before they get married, as close to the day of the wedding as possible. In fact, there are some brides and grooms who will get baptized in an in a mikveh uh, the afternoon of their wedding. So baptism is a Jewish thing. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. And then uh, we've, we read more about it in the book of Acts, uh, and we'll see more about that in just a minute. Um, so Cornelius is a Gentile. He is a soldier, a Roman soldier. He's part of a centurion, which means he's one of 100 soldiers. He is stationed in the city of Caesarea, which was named for Caesar. Now, the city of Caesarea was in Judea, and it was where the Roman procurator, easy for me to say, that's where the Roman procurator lived. The Roman procurator, I hate that word. The Roman procurator um, was either a a high-ranking financial official, or he actually may have been the governor of of a small region. And so the procurator of Judea lived in Caesarea. And that's why this centurion, Uh, The squad of soldiers, Roman soldiers, man, I'm having a rough time tonight. That's why the squad of Roman soldiers lived in Caesarea was to protect the Roman procurator. You say that five times fast. So, yeah, spell it. Uh, so uh, the Roman procurator lived in Caesarea. Cornelius is one of his centurions. He lives there in Caesarea as well. Well, one day, Caesarea, um, Cornelius has a vision of an angel. And this is what happens. This is what the angel says to him. This angel shows up, verse, uh, t- chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so Cornelius sends one of his soldiers and two of his servants to go to Simon the Tanner's house and fetch Peter. Now, the next day, as these three people are approaching Simon the Tanner's house, Peter is, goes up on the roof of the house to pray. It's about noon. Now, Caesarea is 33.6 miles away from Joppa. So about 33 and a half miles to get from Caesarea to Joppa. It, it's the next day. The three people are approaching. Uh, Peter's up on the roof praying. He's getting kind of hungry uh, because uh, it's, it's about noontime. The people are preparing the meal. Peter goes up on the roof to pray and he falls into kind of a trance and God speaks to Peter and he, Peter sees a vision of a sheet, like a large bed sheet coming out of heaven and on this sheet are animals of every kind, four footed animals, birds, reptiles, many of which are unclean and, and, and forbidden for Jews to eat. And so you've got Peter sitting there, and he sees this sheet come down out of heaven. And the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So get up, kill and eat this food. And this is what Peter says in verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice then says to Peter this. And and remember, God is working on Peter. Look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In other words, these things that used to be unclean and forbidden for you, God is now declaring them clean and okay to eat. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because this thing happens three times. This is the first time. Two more times, the sheet comes down. The voice says, kill and eat. Peter's like, what are you talking about? I can't do that. Sheet goes back up. Sheet comes back down. I don't know why, but in Peter's life, everything seems to happen in threes. He denied Jesus how many times? Three, three times. Jesus reinstated him how many times? Three. And now the sheet comes down out of heaven three times. So I don't know if Peter's just dense and it takes him a little while to get stuff. I can sympathize. I can, I can empathize with Peter about being that kind of dense. Sometimes God has got to bop me upside the head a bunch of times in order to get the, the point across. So Simon Peter sees this vision three times. And then the, the representatives of Cornelius show up and they call out to Peter up on the roof. And then the Holy Spirit says to Peter, hey, there are three dudes looking for you. I'm paraphrasing. There are three dudes looking for you. Wherever you whatever they do, uh, go with them. And so Simon, uh, Peter goes down and uh, uh, he says, I'm, I'm the guy you're looking for. And uh, he invites them to come in and stay at Simon the Tanner's house. Now, remember, this is Cornelius, one of his soldiers. He's a Gentile. Two of his servants, probably also Gentiles. So now Simon, Peter, has just invited three Gentiles to spend the night at Simon the Tanner's house. Again, this is, this is huge because Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another at all, at all. So the next day they get up and they leave. They make their way back to Caesarea, 33.6 miles. So it's about a day's journey. They make their way back to Caesarea. And uh, they walk into the house and, and uh, they, they invite Peter into the house. And immediately Peter walks in. Cornelius falls down at his feet and starts to worship him. Peter's like, no way, dude, get up. I'm just a man like you. That's huge. That's huge. But God is working on Peter. Look at verses 27 and 28. It says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, "You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean Now here's an interesting little tidbit um, in, <laughs> in the second century in the second century, Jewish men would pray a blessing of to God. It would pray a prayer of blessing to God, thanking them for their station in life. And this is how they put it. This is the prayer that they would say Blessed are you, eternal our God, who has not made me a Gentile. That would be like me praying, God, thank you for not making me a Bears fan. Now there's actually more, there's actually more to this prayer than just this. It's blessed are you, eternal our God, that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was that, and this has been prayed for going back to the second century. This has been the prayer of Jewish men. All the men are like in the room are like squirming a little bit, like. Ugh. But that's what that's how they prayed. And, and that's how much Jews and Gentiles did not get along. Thank you for not making me a Gentile. And so here's Peter in the home of a Gentile, Peter in the home of a Gentile for the, maybe like one of the first times in his life, he's like, this just doesn't happen. He's like, so what do you want? Why did you send for me? And Cornelius tells him about his vision of the angel and what the angel said to him said, the angel said, go get you and to come, have you come here and tell me whatever it is you need to tell me. All right. So um, Peter then says, verse 34 and 35, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And over the next few verses, Peter starts to explain the good news of Jesus to these Gentiles. He starts telling them about who Jesus is, that Jesus of Nazareth uh, died on a cross, that God raised him back to life, and he's the way, the truth, and life. He, He shares the gospel with them. And then the most amazing thing happens in chapter 10, verses 44 through 46, and it says this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So you've got these Gentiles who have heard the message about Jesus and have put their faith in him, they have believed in him. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and they start speaking in tongues just the way that things had happened on the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2. And what does Peter say? I now know that God does not show favoritism. That's important. We'll get to that in just a minute. And then in verses 47 and 48, it says this. Peter said, Surely... No one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, here's the question, because this is a a question of a normative salvation experience. How does one get saved? Because throughout the book of Acts, we see one certain pattern, but here in in chapter 10, we see a different pattern. And it reminds me of a different story from the Gospels. And I want to share with this with you for just a minute. Back in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter told the crowd who, who were coming to faith in Christ, he told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that seems to me to say that the pattern of salvation experience is believe in Jesus, repent from your sins, uh, confess your faith, get baptized, God fills you with the Spirit. So it's believe, be baptized, Spirit. But here in chapter 10, it's different. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, is this normative or is this an exception? And I believe that it is an exception. And the reason I believe that it is an exception is because it was for Peter's sake and for his companions' sakes Then without Peter, uh, without God doing something miraculous to show Peter, hey, by the way, I accept the Gentiles. It was so ingrained in the Jews not to associate with Gentiles that it would take a miraculous happening in order for Peter to have his mind changed for for peter to have for peter to be convinced that the gentiles were being accepted by god and like i said it reminds me of a story from the from the gospels when jesus is hanging on the cross and the criminal on the cross next to him says lord remember me when you enter into your kingdom uh, and he says truly i tell you today you will be with me in paradise Now is that a normative experience or is that an exception? I believe that that is an exception. That is, we do not get saved by hanging on a cross next to Jesus and asking Him to take us into heaven. That's not how that happens. But the pattern of the New Testament and the pattern, the normative pattern of the of the Book of Acts is that we believe in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Him. We believe in Him. We turn away from sin and repentance. We confess our faith. We get baptized. And then the Holy Spirit fills us. That is the normative pattern. But God is allowed to do exceptions whenever he chooses. Why? Because he's God. Now, the point of this passage isn't the exception or the normative. The point of this passage is that God doesn't show favorites. That God doesn't play favorites. And neither should we. Salvation is for everyone. And so I I, I cannot emphasize that to you enough. God doesn't play favorites. Salvation is for everyone. All right? God doesn't play favorites. Salvation is for everyone. And that's so important. Uh, Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for everyone's sins. Jesus died for you. He died for me. But he didn't just die uh, for white Americans who vote Republican. I'm sorry. He didn't do that. I mean, he did die for them, but he died for everyone. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't exclude people from uh, the possibility of becoming Christians. He doesn't exclude people from the possibility of becoming saved based on color of your skin, based on your economic status, based on your past sins. He... God wants, he, Paul told Timothy that God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved. And he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't say, well, you know, I like these people the best. And so they can be be saved. But these other people, I'm not a big fan of. And so I, they're not going to get saved. The the question isn't about your economic status. It's not about your color of your skin. It's not about your gender. It's not about your sins. It's about who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who is Jesus? And what are you going to do with him? That's the question. God doesn't play favorites. Salvation is for everyone who will believe in Jesus Christ. The second lesson that we need to learn from this is this. God doesn't fit in your box. God doesn't fit in your box. No, don't put limits on God's grace. Don't put limits on God's grace. Because sometimes we want to do that. Sometimes we want to say, you know what, what?" these people are okay to come to our church, but some of these other people, we don't want them in our church. Because they don't fit in our box. Or we don't think they fit in God's box. I got news for you, God doesn't have a box box. You can't box God. You can't put God in a box. You can't say, well, you know, this is God's box and these are his boundaries. And, you know, no. Everyone can come to Christ for salvation. Don't put limits on God's grace. Don't say, well, God, you can save these people, but I know you don't want to save those people. Not true. Salvation is for everyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everyone. There are no limits On God's grace. There are no limits on God's love. No limits. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, God will save you. Well, what if they do this? What if they do that? God can forgive it. And then God can change them. But that's God's job. That's the the Holy Spirit's job is to transform people's lives. That's the Spirit's job. That's Jesus' job. That's not your job. Your job isn't to fix anyone. That's Jesus' job. He fixes people. And guess what? He can fix you too. If you'll surrender, submit to him. But nobody's job is to fix you. And your job isn't to fix anyone else. So stop looking at your spouse. like, My job is to fix you. No, no it's not. That's Jesus' job. So quit trying to do Jesus' job. Quit trying to fix people. God doesn't fit in your box. Don't put limits on his grace. And like I said, sometimes we want to do that. We want to just say, okay, you know what? We want to keep our church nice and safe and okay and not messy. And Jesus is telling us, get messy. Get really, really messy. Because guess what? Grace is messy and that's okay you know why because people are messy our lives are messy and we need god's grace to clean us up and the good news the beautiful news the wonderful news of jesus christ the wonderful news of grace is that god cleans us up so quit trying to do it on your own Quit trying to play favorites and say, well, these people are welcome. Those people are not. Everybody's welcome. Everyone's welcome. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what side of the tracks you live on. If you live on the wrong side of the tracks, you live in my neighborhood. So it's, it's, we want you here. And we want you to know Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. And he plays no favorites.